Welcome to Out of Game, a podcast featuring unique segments and discussions about board games, card games, RPGs, gamers, and gamer culture. Here are your hosts, Ryan, Chris, and Tim, as they go out of game. Welcome to episode 41 of Out of Game. Chris forgot to jump in and interrupt me. This is Ryan. This is Chris. And this is Tim. And we're a podcast about board games. Board games. games. Listener questions. Yeah. Oh, no. That's Wait, what we're doing this time. Listener corner. We are. There's no table talk. It's all about the listeners today. Listeners corner, where we answer questions from our listeners. I love these episodes. Yes. yes. This is becoming our favorite type of episode. And as we discussed, so that... New questions will be answered in a timely manner that we are flipping. All new questions will go to the top of the queue. And then as we get through those, then we'll get to older questions rather than answering questions that were asked two yeah, years we've ago. Been asking, we've been answering questions in the, in the queue. So in other words, the oldest questions get answered first. Yes. And we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do a LIFO queue. Yeah, we're going to do a stack. So the last question asked will be the first one answered from go. now on. So is that going to make, since our listeners are gamers, they're going to like hold their questions back and then try to get them in right before the episode? That's a good move. Yeah. That's the way to go. That will work. Game the system. We're also probably going to purge duplicates, I think. Maybe. We'll see. If, I mean, well, if we, we haven't answered a question like that and it's good to talk about it again, then I suppose we could. But if we I, get two in the row that are the same... I say we just give cred to both people and then yeah, discuss. That's the problem. I need to go through the document and we have, combine the duplicates. We have, ah, you don't need to do that. We just go as we go. All right. Well, I feel bad for the listeners that became the duplicate, though, because then they don't, their question is Well, we could ask. keep yeah, their you name. Keep their name. You, you tag both names to the tag one. Well, names. that's what I mean. In order to do that, I have to know where the duplicates are, which means I have to go through the uh, document and find them. Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, if you don't get to that one for like six months and you forgot that you actually answered it before, maybe it's up for discussion again. See, this yeah. is the life of the podcast editor, guys. Yes. The other two, the other two people <laughs> just come up with these ideas that sound great. And then you do all the work. And I'm just adding up hours of time in my head as yeah. we're talking. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of extra editing, I just want to say sorry that we're not answering the questions that were asked us like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, we should apologize for that. So just want to apologize for that. We're going to be not this episode, but starting next listener's corner, last and first out. So ask the questions and they will be answered in a yeah. more timely and fashion. And we have great, I, I was looking at, we have a huge document of questions we've been storing these are great questions. Yeah, we've got lots of material. Yeah. With just the questions alone, we could do an entire year of episodes love, easily. Love the listener questions. Yeah. So, But that also means if you've been discouraged that you don't believe we'll answer a question that you're going to send in until like two years later, you don't need to worry about that anymore. Send us some questions at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll do our best to answer them uh, in the appropriate order. That we will. We probably should have got the question of why don't you read the earliest questions first and maybe we would have flipped this sooner. <laughs> but it took us this long to figure out, yeah, maybe we should be answering the newer questions first. Yeah. One but of my, we're there. Yeah, one of my favorite um, suggestions for the, the name of the, of the segment, I don't remember who submitted it, but it was something like things your listeners wanted to know one to two years ago. That probably was more like what we should have named it. Yeah, but yeah. we fixed it. We're, <laughs> We're going to fix it. We're yes. fixing it. To be fixed. But before we do this fixing, let's jump into the spawn point. Spawn point. What you got, Chris? I just want to get to listener questions. Really? No spawn point. I'm excited. Tim. Uh, just doing a lot of gaming with Jeremy. Jeremy is like getting into right. it big time. Doing a lot of Uno, doing a lot of uh, Go Fish, a little bit of Candyland, a little bit of Trouble. Um, but his favorite by far is Uno. He, he loves Uno. All those games are more strategic than Sushi Go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm encouraged that he's, he's actually getting into it and enjoying it and stuff. So I'm, I'm looking at maybe, maybe picking up like Celestia or something like that. Ooh, or the, like one of the games I sent you like years ago. Yeah, those I don't are those still valid because you sent me those when he was like three and now he's like almost no they six. were for your daughter when she was his age <laughs> oh so my, I'm gonna have to find that list <laughs> yeah no all good suggestions I would go look at that list uh, you know, Celestia is a level up so that'd be that's fun. true this is if, true. It, if it works that's fun yeah maybe he could play Century I was actually thinking about picking up Century for that too because I think my daughter's kind of on the bubble of that might be doable for her in a more simpler fashion. 
the drafting and stuff might be a little more difficult for her, but I think she would kind of get a kick out of buying these big golems and, and doing things. So, yeah. So for my spawn point, I want to talk about a game called Legacy of Dragonholt. So what this is, it's an RPG board game, but it's like a choose your own adventure game. So I don't know if, did you guys ever read like choose your own adventure books? Oh God, yeah, I got a whole stack at home. So it's like a board game designed around choose your own adventure. So here's what you do in the game. You, you start by building a character. So they have like this pamphlet that's, it's kind of like a, like a light version of a role-playing book where it describes all the races and then you pick a race and it describes all the classes. You pick a class and then there's a skill list that you pick from. (laughs) <laughs> better than groups. And after you pick your skill list, basically the way the story works is you're following along this choose your own adventure. And then just like choose your own adventure, I'll say, what, what's your choice? And, you know, go here, go here, go here. But if you have certain skills, you'll have additional choices. So for example, you won't have the option to shoot your bow at someone if you don't have the archery skill, but if you have it, you can choose that as your option. And it's like a giant campaign but what's interesting about this is it plays one to six players, but I actually think it would be perfect as just a solo game. The uh, Lonely Gamer? Yeah. It's really fun. So I've actually looked into if there were if there was some way to play like D&D 5th edition solo since you guys won't play it. Well, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> and there isn't. Like, there's nothing really out there. Like, there's no rule. There's no way to do that. And they, Fantasy Flight, came out with a way to basically play a solo RPG. So... If you are out there, and I know there's people like this, that you like role-playing, but you don't have a role-playing group, and you don't know how to start one, or there just isn't one to play, I would highly recommend checking this out. It's called Legacy of Dragonholt. The writing is really good. That's that's one thing. Because I started this. I did the first scenario. Okay, so you've done a little bit. Yeah, I've done the first scenario. It was really good. It was written really well. It was interesting. I felt like I was in danger of dying, and and but I like kind of barely made it. And then now I've like arrived in Dragonhold, the city, and there's this thick book of things I can do in the city, like different side quests and and everything. And then there's five or six other pamphlets of like other adventures that are like self-contained adventures. So I did the first adventure. I've got the giant city and all these other self-contained adventures. And I've heard that you basically just play through this until it comes to some sort of natural conclusion. Like it will end and you may not even do all the adventures. Right. Right. So then you can go back and maybe pick a new character and start over, maybe make different choices and, and go through it again. So how, how would this work if you played with four players? Is it just opening up the options you can choose? So you're still all as a group picking one decision, but because you have four different characters, you can now choose the archery, which if, you were a dwarf and didn't have it. You couldn't choose it. But since you brought an elf with you, your choices now open up, but you're still making one decision as a group. Yeah. So the, the way that works is everyone has a token that's like their decision token. And if you make a decision on a round, you flip your token over. And so like the next few decisions have to be made by the other people until their tokens are flipped and then you reset them. But wh- whoever makes the decision, whatever the results are of that affect that character. So if you say, I shoot my bow, and, it, and then you flip to a passage and says, you shoot your bow, and this happens to you, and whatever, that all happens to the person who made the decision. Okay. So you're individually tracking your own um, experience, the items that you have, and you can trade items between members of the group. You know, you can level up over time. So it's, it's really, I think they did an amazing job with this, and it's not getting a lot of buzz right now, and I, I feel like it should be. It's a really unique uh, game and it, it kind of goes with this whole campaign thing I was talking about last episode. But yeah, if you just and it's not there's no dice. It's all just make decisions. If you have these skills, this happens. You lose this amount of hit points. You yeah. follow the passages. So like I was just like sitting on my sofa at home and just playing this game. It's like it's just kind of like doing a choose your own adventure book, but there's more to it. There's like an actual game there. Hmm. So highly recommended. Like I see a dragon holt. All right, very interesting. Yeah. So my problem is it got rid of the only decent part of D&D, which was all the different dice. Yeah. <laughs> got rid of the dice. The only decent part. <laughs> that was a nice slam that I didn't catch right away. <laughs> that was pretty good. But it's all, and it's all based in the universe for Descent, if anyone's played Descent, uh, second edition. It's the same uh, world, a fantasy world. All right. Nice. Shall we move on? Let's move Let's on. Let's move it. Listener's, Listener's Corner. Corner. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. 
All right. I don't have the questions, but... Well, it's a great to... segue. The first question is about campaign games. Oh. So this is by Sibster. Campaign games. Discuss how to keep the momentum. Games that you love but are hard to teach other people. So it's like a twofold topic. So we were talking about campaign games. And one of the problems is that we were talking about on our last episode of Time Stories is how you lose the momentum. Man. You're going along and then you get stuck. It's true. The game kind of stagnates. So what are some suggestions on how to keep it going? I, I definitely think the biggest thing is you, like with the Pandemic Legacy, you, we have that scheduled to play every time we get together so that we don't lose it. And we still missed a couple months here and there because of people not being able to make it and stuff. But we made sure that every time we were scheduled to play that, and we tried to get together before the group did so that we weren't taken away from the normal group time. But I think keeping some kind of schedule and keeping people to that schedule is the only way to kind of keep things going. Because it is so easy to be like, oh, you know, we played for, let's skip the next couple months. And then the next thing you know, you've skipped six months. And then people are just kind of, well, I don't remember where we are at. So you kind of get even further away from it. So I, scheduling, I think, is the only thing. Yeah. Stick to it. Yeah. I think I, was, I had that on my list, scheduling it, committing to the schedule. And I think an important thing is the people who are playing the campaign have to like the game. Yes. Because... We we were very dangerously close to not finishing Pandemic Legacy because two of the people we started with, Chris and Dave, didn't like it after like a couple of games. Like, well, but you also have the problem. You also have the problem. People not liking the game, and it's the game's fault. Like that's fine. Like Time Stories, which is fine. It's totally fine. You guys got stuck. Yeah. And it just wasn't fun. There's like a fun factor problem. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's where Ryan's no, going. I'm not if, saying if there's anything wrong with people not liking it. I'm saying you need to get if the those people, people in to the drop like, out. Yeah. If the people don't like it, kindly, what we did is we just talked about it and, and Chris and Dave were okay with stepping out of the game and we invited two other people to yeah, play. Yeah. Honestly, you and I were going to continue it yeah. just with the two of us and play two characters each. Yeah. But then we offered it up to the other group and Aras and Nathan both said, hey, no, yeah, we want to do this. So. Yeah. Like, don't I, force people to play it if they're not enjoying it. Right. So my, you, you my, won't finish it. Yeah. My point is different. So you, so that's true. But the other problem is sometimes the game is bad. It's not a choice of dropping out. It's you're not having fun. That particular scenario is right. not fun or something? The Time Stories example is different from what you, you were talking about. So where it, it's because of the story mm-hmm. that's happening, the particular scene maybe, you're stuck. You can't just quit because then you're, right. you're done. I mean, you, yeah. I guess in that case, you could go on to the next one. Yeah. But to his point, keeping the momentum going, I think, is more like what Tim was saying. Just force yourself through it. Make a schedule. Stick to it. And just power through it. You know, yeah. even, even if you're not, if it's not something you're looking forward to, as bad as that sounds, because maybe it gets better. Once you're past that. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, if, if you're playing a campaign and you've done the first three, you've loved the first three, and the fourth one you just hate, yeah, power through it. But if you've hated yeah. the first three and you're hating the fourth, yeah, you probably need to bow out and get a replacement because, right. you know, if this is a, you know, what do we end up playing? 17? 17 games. Of you know, if, if you got, you guys got, I think, three, I think four games in. Imagine if you had to suffer through 13 more games just because you were going to power through it. There, there needs to be a point where it's like, okay, we realize these two are good, these two are not good, and we need to do some kind of switch because we still want to go through it, but we just need to find people who actually have right. so, the desire to do it. So you have to decide then, is the problem the game or is the problem the phase that you're in of the game? Right. So in that case, it was the game. Yeah. But in, in the time stories, it's the phase. It's the phase. So you just have to get through, either power through it or else skip it. Yeah. And move on to the next one. Yeah, and I, and I think if you power through it and then the next one also is bad and then the one after that, then it's time that you might all just want to quit. <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah, right. I mean, don't don't force yourself to play if no one's having fun. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of pointless. And this happened to a lot of people that played Seafall actually because Seafall was this legacy game and each game was like 3 or 4 hours. And then the games weren't that interesting. They weren't really changing much or I don't know. I, I've never played it, but just from what I've heard in reviews, yeah. that people just weren't enjoying it. And then almost everyone that I know has just quit before they even finished the whole campaign. So I think that's an option sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. If nobody's having fun, why are you doing it? This is supposed to be a fun night. Moving on. So here, I'll talk about games that you love but are hard to teach other people. So how do you introduce games to uh, to somebody who might might be skeptical. So you love a game and you, you want 
to introduce it to other people. Like it's Caberna. hard to teach. Yeah, that's number one on my list. Like Caberna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my answer would be just to nag and continually bring it up. I mean, find people that agree with you and use peer pressure. Seriously, one of the reasons I play a lot of games that you introduced is because of recommendations, other people saying, oh, Chris, you would like this game, that sort of thing. You know, it, it, it makes me believe that it's a good investment in my time. So I think when you have the game that you like, there's nothing wrong with just sort of, you know, trust me, you're going to like this. At least try it. Is the question, what's the question exactly? How do you get people to play it? Or I don't have the question. Games that you love but are hard to teach other people. Well, what's the actual question? What's he asking? Suggest to how to fix it. Like how to yeah, fix yeah, what? Basically, how, how do you how do you get them? How do you get to teach the rule set and keep people interested in a game that you love? But it's it's, it's complicated rules. Okay. So you're not I, you know you start having people check out while you're explaining right. the rules because they're so complicated. Exactly. How do you keep them checked in while you're explaining the rules? Yeah, there's like a ticking. Like it's for non gamers. I think this question is for non gamers. So. If I try to play a game with non-gamers, I almost feel like there's a ticking clock in my head while I'm explaining the rules. Yes. Yeah. And you've got to get it out by yep. then. You can feel them. They're starting to glaze over. Yeah. you got to get the, really basic, to be fast. the basic, basic rules out and then deal with any kind of specific cases when the case comes up. Right. Don't try to explain how combat works before there's a combat. Don't try to explain how to defend a castle until you need to defend a castle. You know? Get the basic rules, the basic mechanics. Here's how you go. And then when you get to the situation, okay, now it's pertinent. Let's try to get into those rules. And try to simplify them. There's no reason you have to play all the rules. I mean, if it's a very hard game, chances are there's a lot of rules. So maybe just don't play with all of them. Yeah, if the, if the game has an option for like a like a beginner's version, yeah, go then do it. Like Caverna actually has that. I think we even did that, the game we played. Um, <laughs> but I would suggest that... If you're going to teach a game like this, you be prepared and you have you you be ready to go with how you're going to teach the game. Like have an outline even or like a something you're going to follow to teach it. So because we've talked about this so many times, but the problem with the Caverna game was I didn't know the rules. Yes. I had to, I had to sit there and read them and then then I had to fumble through them. If I had known them well and was able to just teach them quickly and know what to leave out and it probably would have been a much different experience. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Well, plus, I think to his point, I think a lot of times there's a game that you really believe somebody's going to like the game, and they just need to try it. And getting them to try it is hard because you're trying to explain the rules, and they're like, well. So another idea, I, I use this with Lost when I was trying to get people to watch Lost. You make a deal, try this game, and then I'll watch a series. I'll watch, um, I don't know, Ozark. Or some Netflix series that, that you that you've been talking about, uh, you know. So it's a trade. You play my game, I'll watch one of your episodes, and I think people would go for that. Okay, that's it's just a suggestion. Yeah. So two game, two more games I had on my list are Race for the Galaxy and Seven Wonders. I think Seven Wonders is is hard to teach because if people aren't familiar with the drafting, they have to explain that, and then there's all the symbology. And that's the problem with Race that's for the Galaxy. Probably the worst too. part of that game is the yeah. symbology. Yep. And it, it makes it difficult. It and it's like it's not really a hard game either. But it's just hard to teach. Right. But then once you start playing, it's fine. So I would almost in a game like that, treat like do a couple practice rounds. Like something like drafting makes way more sense if you just do it. Do an open hand draft. You just you do yeah. like, you know, your number one cards. Yeah, just do it once and say, This is I'm taking this because of XYZ. And then pass and have everybody do it open handed and then go around until the whole thing's gone and go, okay, yeah, questions. And if there's no questions, you're, you're probably good to go. Yeah. Or you could even just do it without even thinking about what you're picking, just so they understand the mechanics of drafting. Be like, all right, take your cards, just pick one and pass to the left. That's, that's drafting. Like, yeah. if you just do that one time, you don't have to explain it. Yeah. But the, with that, though, you're trying to get them to be able to competent to play it. So you're going to have to explain what yeah. some of the cards do. Well, what I'm saying is like, I'm almost saying treat it like a tutorial. Let's yeah. just learn what drafting is. Yeah. Okay. Now that we understand what the mechanic of drafting is, let's try to understand what these cards do. Then you maybe start explaining the yeah. cards and yeah. they don't have to think about, well, what does drafting mean? Right. Cause they already know. Yeah. Like if the, if they could like I actually backed a nap on Indiegogo, it's called dized and it, it had, died D I Z E D. And what it is, is they develop tutorials to teach board games, and it's an app. Okay. So you put the phone next to the game while you're teaching, and you instead of me teaching it, we just go through a tutorial. It makes like a live tutorial for multiple games to teach 
you gotta huh. play the games. Why didn't Nathan do this? This is this is Nathan's like I know niche. I think this is a, a great idea, and I'm I'm really hoping that they get a lot more games on there because tutorial is the way to go. If you have a tutorial to teach a game, that's a way easier way, way to learn a game than someone dumping the whole rules on yeah, you and then yeah. sitting down and playing. I've taken to that myself as if I've actually do. You know, I know you can't do it, but I watch the YouTubes. Yeah, and why, you know it. I I like the visual element of it of seeing the game board and seeing what they're doing. Versus just listening to something because it's there's still a disconnect there. I, I like the visual part of the YouTube, but I know that's something Chris you can't do because uh, you just I, you I start tuning out. To it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very hard. I do one and a half speed. That's what I do. Can you do that on YouTube? Yeah. You can, can you do that, or can everybody do? Everyone that? can do it. Oh, suddenly so that's not a paid portion of it. It's it's like no, available in general. No, that's available in general. I oh. think you can just speed up the, even on the phone now. I haven't seen that. Oh. Okay, let's move on. Author AK twenty eight. What are some of the ways to start a board game collection? Is it to buy one's favorite games or buy one of each type of game or only the hottest games according to theme, etc.? But you definitely go don't go by theme. You, you <laughs> got to go by games you like. I mean, well, plus the ageless factor. Was yeah. this going to be a game that I'm? Am I just going to stick it on the shelf and be done, or am Ex- I going to play it? Exactly. You you want games that you're interested in and you're going to play and you're going to try to introduce to other people. If you're trying to introduce non-board gamers to it, then yeah, you need to pick up some of the gateway games just for that reason. But I think this guy's question is like, you may not know what games you like. That was the impression I got from the question. Well, well, no, because the second part is do you buy one's favorite games? So I'm assuming he has some favorite games. So, I mean, obviously those are the first ones you start with, right? You already know you like them and you just need to teach other people those games to play them. So I answer this as if someone didn't really know a lot about games. I think the best option is to do what you're doing now, actually. Ask people for recommendations. I mean, he's asking, how do you start one? But but find some gamer friends and ask for recommendations. I think that's where you start. Because if you find someone like like me or Nathan or someone who's into board games, any actually any of the three of us sitting here even, we could list we could recommend games to anyone, I yeah. think. Because we've played so many different games. And then if that is an an option, then this is what I would suggest. I would suggest you go to the Board Game Geek Top 20 and read through the descriptions of the Top 20 games and pick five that sound interesting to you. Then go to YouTube, watch the reviews of those five games, and then pick one or two of them and buy them and then play them. And if you're planning on playing these with some of your friends, send your top five to them. Yeah. Ask them which one sounds the most interesting and start there. Yeah, because that's true. If the people that you're playing with don't like it, then... It doesn't matter how much you like it. Yeah. And then if you like them, you know, then do searches for games that are similar to that. That, This is how I started my my collection. And then it just kind of spreads from there. And then it just grows like a fungus. It grows and grows and grows. So you have to your... Next thing you know, your wife is going to throw you out because (laughs) you've got too many board games. You need a floor-to-ceiling shelf just to fit them all. The next question is kind of a segue to this. Okay. So, uh, by Luminous Maximus. Love the name. It's a cool name. I suggest talking about board game organization. So with all the products out there, from inserts to travel boxes, what is recommended and what things are just a waste of money? This is all you, Ryan. I mean, yeah, you yeah. are the organization slash... Yeah. Uh, I just throw components into the box unorganized. Okay. So I'm the wrong person to ask. I have a very structured answer for this. If you guys look at my notes, it's that big. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it quick. All right. I, I'm actually interested in this, too, because right. for some reason, the, the latest games I've been getting into, Imperial Assault and X-Wing, are got so many tokens and gadgets and counters, and they drive me crazy. And it's, it's so hard to organize. So I, yeah. I want to hear this. I'm going to start with something unorthodox, which is the wish list. I'm going all the way back to the wish list. The wish list. We're going to start there. All right. So let me just rattle through this. When you hear of a game you're interested in, Find a review on YouTube and then add it to your watch later list. This is an important list on YouTube. It's like your queue. Yeah, I've used it. Yeah. Okay. And then when you've got some time, you just go through your watch later list and anything that looks interesting to you, that goes to your, that graduates to your want to playlist. All right. Now it's on your want to playlist. I usually keep this in a spreadsheet in Google Docs. Of course. And then you try to play the, you try to play your want to play games. If after playing them, you're still interested, then it graduates to your Cool Stuff Inc. wish list. This is the wish list from where you buy games. Now, one of the things that this does for you is it keeps your magic number at zero because you only have games on your wish list that you've already played. Important well, fact. How are you playing the game without if you don't have it? it? There's a lot of ways to play games that you don't own. If you go to conventions, if you have friends that have the games, a lot of game stores have game libraries where you can play games. 
but if that is not, if none of those things are options, then yes, you have to basically graduate from the YouTube watch list straight to your wish list, uh, and then just buy games and hope that you like them. All right, so that's how you organize your wish list. Now moving on to the game itself. So here are some things that I use to organize my games. One of the most important things is the Ouchless hairband. Now, it's important that you get the ouchless ones. The ouchless ones have, so if you've ever seen a hairband, they usually have like a little metal bar on you mean them. like from the 80s, like, you know, a rock and roll hairband? <laughs> no, not, not a rock and roll hairband. Oh, okay. Like a hair tie. You've got a daughter. So yes. they usually have like a metal like thing on them. Well, the ouchless ones don't have that metal thing. So that when you use these to tie your cards, which is what they're for, it won't scratch your cards up. And this is also better than a rubber band because rubber bands disintegrate over time and they'll just like stick to your game and gum it all up. Yep, yep. So the ouchless hairband, I, I buy these in packs of 50. I buy like four at a time and you just use them for cards and stuff. All right. Then there's something called Hugo's Amazing Tape. This is like tape that it's like vinyl tape that only sticks to itself. This is that clear. Yeah, clear it's like clear. It's like clear right. tape. And it's expensive. It's like a one inch roll is $15. Oof. But it's reusable. Like I, the roll I had lasted me, my first roll lasted me about two to three years. Well, how many feet is it? Because it's one inch wide. I think it's 100 feet, maybe. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you're only wrapping it, it around might be 50. cards and stuff, that gets. But it, I mean, it, it's worth the money. And what this is good for is sometimes you have like a, you'll have like an insert in the box and everything fits in there perfectly. So if you put like a hairband on something, it will actually make it like stick right. up. Yeah. So this is flat. So you can put it around cards and it will remain flat. And I also use this. I'll like put it around. Like if I buy an expansion, I'll put the expansion in the box and then I'll wrap a piece of, if there's like boards and stuff, I'll wrap a piece of this amazing tape around the boards and then I'll take a label maker and I'll print out the name of the expansion and stick it to the tape. Oh. So I know when I open the box, what's part of the expansion and what's part of the game. So it's, and then if I hand it to you guys, you don't have to figure that all out. You can just exclude all the expansion stuff and just play the base game, which most of the time is what people want to do, especially the first time they play it. So Hugo's Amazing Tape. Then we've got Plano Boxes. That's what everyone calls them. But you can actually go to like a hobby store and get bead boxes, which are way less expensive than Plano Boxes. Yeah. And there's all kinds of these. Just go to the beading section. People are going to think you're weird. Actually, maybe not. But just go to the area where there's like all the beading stuff. And there's just all kinds of, of boxes there. And they're real cheap. And that's just for like all the chits and components and stuff. I can almost always organize a game with those. Then also at the craft store. And in the US, Michaels is where I get these. You can buy bags. So the specific sizes that you want are 3 by 4 plastic bags or 2 by 3 Are these like Ziploc kind of style? Yeah, bags? they're like the little baggies. Okay. It's like yep. the baggies that you get in the games. But they're better quality and they're better size. Size. Like the ones in the games are usually too big. Yeah. So what I do is I take all the ones in the game and I keep them. I keep them all in a giant Ziploc bag in case I ever need a big bag. And then I use the three by four bags for almost everything. But then the two by three bags are like smaller. They're like they're like the cocaine bags but double sized. And so those are for like when you just have like a really small amount of components and you don't need a bigger bag. So the two by three. Now this is an important one. After you have all your stuff organized in your box, you want to stand up the box vertically, right? Because who sets their box horizontally these days? I mean, come on, people. Stand your boxes up. When you've got bead boxes and all this stuff in there, you can do that and it won't spill everywhere, all right? So when you're standing your boxes up, though, there's this problem. The lid will start to come off because the box is standing up. So what you do is you buy, it's an EPDM file band. Just look for that on Amazon. EPDM, basically, this is a giant rubber band that's made to go around files, like file folders. But the material the rubber band is made out of doesn't disintegrate over time. Is it like silicone or something? I don't know what it is. It's EPDM, whatever that means. So you put that around the box and then you slide the box in the shelf and you can't see the band. It's like hidden in the shelf. Oh, because you've like only done it like Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, you don't put it around the face that's facing you. You put it around the top and you slide it in. All right. Does it slide okay on the band? The band doesn't get caught on the shelf? It rolls a little bit, but it's fine. fine. Yeah, and actually it leaves a little space between the games, like a little like millimeter of space, two millimeters. So there's a little space there, you know. Don't you think though that spaces them out a little bit? If you took all that spacing out, you might be able to get another game on that shelf? No. The bands aren't that aren't thick enough for that. Although there are times I when the when the boxes fit perfectly, I take all the rubber bands off because they just fit perfectly. All right, and then lastly, if you have the money, I highly recommend the box inserts, the game inserts, but only if it's a game that you really like. That would be my caveat. Broken Token, I have I think four now. Broken Token inserts, Dataless Productions, Meeple Realty, Insert Here Me. Any of those 
are good. I specifically have broken token ones, but they're expensive, but they're amazing. Like the one for Scythe makes it so much easier to set up the game. And then I have the one for Gloomhaven. If you, if you want a game with like a million components, try Gloomhaven. It's ridiculous. But this thing makes it way easier. So that's that's the internal storage of the game. Wow. Now on to shelves. I only have one thing to say about shelves. Ikea Calyx. That's all you need to know. They're the perfect size. You can stack them on top of each other. Long games slide in and they're flush. And I would recommend that you put all your games flush on the front. Even if you could push it back to the wall, don't do that. Make it flush with the front of your shell. This is important. You know, we're talking about organization. Get that consistent look. Yes, exactly. Then do you, do you size it too then? Is it it's alphabetical like a, or is it by board game size? I do it by box shelf? size. Box size. I kind of figured it'd be Yeah, I, I took all the boxes and I found the ones that were the same size and tried to group them together. It's kind of like a puzzle. It's a game in itself. It a lot of symmetry. So, so, now, yeah. so now what do you do with those rectangular boxes? They slide in. You put is them on their deep? slide. Yeah, you slide them in. Are you talking about the old, old ones? Oh, I'm talking old school, yeah. rectangular, you know. Yeah, those, those are a problem. I will admit, sometimes those have to go on the those, top. Those just go stacking. Or you put them on the very edge and you slide them and they stick out, but they're on the edge, so you don't really care. So like in the corner so you don't walk into them. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be bumping your head on the board games. Yeah. Like Axis and Allies, I think I talked about this. Yes, because that's one of those. That's- that was the, the first one I had to put into my shelf and then yeah. everything went from there. Now, the last thing is bags and transport. If you're going to transport your games to, to someone's house, you want a good uh, storage unit for them, you right? Yeah. So I have two recommendations for this. One is the IKEA Fracta. Now, you may see people with these Ikea bags with the two handles and they're open on the top. Don't buy that garbage. That is crap. Oh, that's bad. It's not even like a square bag. You want the Ikea Fracta. It's like that same bag, only they made it perfectly square. It's like they designed it for like a ticket to ride size box and has a zipper on the top and it's waterproof and it's like $2 a bag. And it's just the right amount of games where it's not too heavy for you. So Ikea Fracta. It's harder to find than the other IKEA bags. You have to look for it, but you'll find it. There's zippers on it. It's amazing. You need a zipper because you yeah. bring your games over and it's raining that night, which seems to happen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is raining. So, yeah, you don't want your game boxes getting wet. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you want another solution that doesn't have a bag, doesn't have a zipper on the top, and you're okay with the rain, I go with an Instacrate. I've started using this. You guys may have yeah, noticed. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Instacrate, you can get these at Costco, they're $8 a piece. And they're actually useful for other stuff too, but they're just the right size for, for like board games. And then if you have longer games, you just stand up on the long end. Keep your rubber bands on them though. You don't want those oh. lids opening. The EPDM Can't bands. Can't in the trunk. That'd That's right. Bad. Yeah, That'd but those are good. They have two handles and then when you're done with them, they fold up. And you can like st- like store them away in your game room until next game night. So that's probably more information than you wanted, but that's how you organize your games. People, they came to the right place. Here. Yeah, no I mean, doubt. And that is a lot of info. And it's a good thing this is on a podcast. You can rewind that and listen back multiple Which I'm times. sure everyone will do. <laughs> Get all of that uh, yeah, detail out of there. So that, is that pretty much it? Can That's I move it. I'm on? done. Right. Yeah, we can move on. All right. Next question is by Raj. And he quotes Old School Gamer. And this is a question we've had a few people give different variations of the same question. And it's about balancing board games with your personal life and how to reconcile that, especially... You know, for people with with spouses who might not understand. So we've talked a little bit about this before. And, you know, a good litmus test for your personal life is gaming, because I think it gives you a chance to sort of exercise the you, me, us part of a relationship. You know, I've got this hobby. You've got maybe something you're into. And then we have stuff we do together. Because as hobbies go or as activities go, gaming is pretty innocent from the standpoint. It doesn't cost a fortune compared to like going out. You're not like at a bar or something. You know, you're not out drinking late or whatever. So, you know, I mean, if your spouse says, what do you mean you're gaming once a month, you maniac? <laughs> then that's a, that's a, another problem that has nothing to do with the gaming. Yeah. <laughs> that could be worth addressing. <laughs> So, but you know, conversely, if you're spending too much time gaming and your significant other's protesting, then you need to make some changes and reprioritize her then or him or, you know, whoever significant other is. Gaming should bump other things in your life, but that that are your me time, but not your family. So it's, it's important to kind of put your family first, but then also to have your own time. I don't know what's fair. Once a month definitely is reasonable. I would make the case once a week is assuming that the rest of the week you're dedicating to your family. You know, if you spend like Mm -hmm. six hours on a Wednesday night gaming and then the rest of the time you're not really doing anything for yourself, that's pretty reasonable, I think. Yeah, I think that's extremely reasonable. I mean, it's I kind of got lucky that this was something I was doing 
prior to being married and everything. So I was weekly gaming the whole time we were dating and all that stuff. And we actually had the discussion before we got married, even that, you know, this is something I do, something I enjoy. You know, I want to keep this going. I don't want to get married and just all of a sudden I stopped doing this stuff. So I kept the weekly thing going for years. And then the weekly thing kind of ended itself just because people, other people getting tied up in this and that. Now it's kind of more of a, you know, it was kind of like a once, twice a month thing. But now, you know, with Alron and role playing, you know, the other role playing session and X Wing and board games, I'm I'm doing four to five days a month. So it's about once a week. It's about once a week. So and I th- and my wife has zero problem with once a week. Anytime she asks to do something, it's yes. Go do it. And sometimes that does conflict with one of my X-Wing nights or something like that. I cancel that X-Wing night, let her go do go out with her cousin or her girls and do her thing. And then, you know, it's that balance of, you know, you let me go do this stuff. And then anytime you have something to do, you can go do that. And like you said, family always comes first. So the family will always trump a Saturday gaming event. It just it, Saturday will get canceled. Right. The only thing I would add to that is making sure that expectations are set. Don't just go scheduling a bunch of stuff without setting expectations with your significant other. Yes. Because that will not go over well. And I just kind of use this analogy of the gas tank. If you're draining the gas tank, like if you're if you're gone on a Saturday doing gaming all day, it's like you're draining the the white the, the spouse's or significant other's gas tank. So you need to refill the tank. Like do something with the family yes. or do something with, with them. Well, or, or if she does something. Or give, give them some time to do yeah. something. And so their tank is filled back up. Don't drain it and then drain it again and then drain it again without refilling it. Yeah. I always keep that in my head as I'm planning things or whatever. Yeah, the other thing I, another note I made that if your significant other might not really respect the hobby from a standpoint of she doesn't really get it and, you know, why don't you just do something here or whatever. One of the things you could do is try to get her into the hobby. One idea is to make her play a game of Caverna with you. <laughs> she will say, go play with your friends. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, my God. <laughs> go have fun. When I, you know, I think consistency, too. Like, for me, all my gaming stuff pretty much falls on a Wednesday. So she just knows it's Wednesday. Chances are I have something going on. And then the, the Wednesdays I don't have something going on. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, we can do this or that instead. So um, I believe there are some other parts of yeah, the question so, at the end. Well, Medbana sort of piggybacked on this too. On a related note, uh, what do you use to organize your meetups? Is it just the same place, same time every week? Do you use a meetup app, Facebook app? How do you choose the games you're going to play and bring with you? This goes to Tim's point about consistency. Uh, we use doodle.com yep. to um, sort of pick the, the time. That's so much better. I can't, I can't iterate enough how much better that is than emailing around a group and trying to come up yeah. with a it, date. It's, it is so much better. <laughs> yeah, it's so simple and, yeah. and effective. You know, the other thing is about consistency her question was, was long and it had a lot to do with what happens when people skip. And I think. The way you prevent that, I think if you do the show goes on when people skip, then what happens is when they're skipping, they're thinking, oh, man, they're playing without me. And I think they're more likely to come next time. Yeah, I agree with that completely. The show must go on. That's a good way to put it. Is that what you said? The show must go on. Yeah, Yeah, just go power ahead, even if you have two people there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't cancel. Just 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 do do it. it. Because then people will just be like, I'll just keep not going until it's perfect for me. Right. It's not always perfect for everyone. So Yeah, because one of the things that really is effective you know, hey, we had a great time playing there. Too bad you didn't come. Yeah. You know, guess yeah. what? Next time, we'll make time. Oh, yeah. You feel it when you miss. Yeah. Right. I definitely. Well, and I think that's where the yeah. doodle comes in handy for us, too, because it's not that, okay, we're playing the second Wednesday of every month. We, we, we're we not that rigid. We're playing Wednesday. Right. But the Wednesday's open, and then we put the doodle out, and then we see which Wednesday in the month works the best for everybody. And then that's the Wednesday we pick to do our board gaming for that month. So it might be the first week one month. It might be the third week the next month. So we might we might go six weeks without board gaming because we did it early one month and later the next month. And then we might have it where we did the third week and the first week. Yeah. So maybe you know we're doing it two weeks, but we're doing it about once a month. And you will definitely get better turnouts then because people's schedules, you can pick the night that's the best. And you'll, you'll still probably have people that won't show up, but if you pick the night that Eight people can make it and only six do. It's yeah. better than picking the second week and everybody had a wedding that day. Yeah. And I would honestly, I would pick a core group. Like you'll know as, as the meetups are going, who, who's the core group that's going to come almost every time and then try to make sure those people can yes. come. 
and and even prior and even prioritize them over others if there's a conflict because you know they're going to come because we have people in our group that will back out the day of yeah it's just not higher as high on their priority list as others so like on my saturday group i usually will talk to the three or four guys that are like the core group and i'll I'll get their schedules first Mm -hmm. and then once i have the date with them i'll send out the invite to everyone else and in that case i just have to pick the day because it's whenever i can do it well yeah right um but for the wednesdays yeah like even when i'm looking at our doodles on wednesdays i'm waiting for specific people that are are coming every time to answer and once those people have responded i set the date i don't wait for every single person because you just can't do that yeah because some people just don't get to it you know they lose it in their email or whatever and yep Okay, next question. Bronx 413. So this question is related to miniatures in games and how they've impacted the perceptions of games without miniatures. And uh, he says, you know, some gamers would refer to games that could have miniatures but don't as junky. And then other designers lazy if they don't use high-quality components. Um, even wooden pieces are considered junky to them. So the whole issue about price point and game quality. Well, I want to make one point about the designer. The designer usually doesn't have much say about the components in the game. So that's not a valid argument to say the designer was lazy. The designer is not publishing the game. That's the publisher's decision. So designing a game is a lot of work and I'm sure every designer would want their game to have the best high quality components possible. But as a consumer, what would you prefer paying more for a game and having quality components or less for a game? With lesser components. I'm okay. Only if the game is good. I would, I'd rather pay more for a quality version if I know it's a good game. Yeah, I, I personally, I think there, it would be nice if there was both options. So if you have the money and you want to go all out and get the quality version, go for it. But then at the same time, if you don't want to spend 80 bucks, spend you know half that or whatever on the... Yeah, yeah that's kind of hard, though, for the gaming industry to... to it's hard to predict both ways because yeah, I mean, some games don't sell a lot of copies. And then if you're, if you're doing the cheap version, the more expensive version, you know, you're, you're doubling your chances of, you know, not being successful selling the game. Yeah. Some companies are doing this though. And and I would actually say this is where Kickstarter has a huge advantage because like Scythe, for example, they had the collector's edition, which got all the upgraded components, but then at retail, it was just a normal version. But they had, they could do that because they it's like a pre order you know exactly how many people right. want it you so you're, you're not getting. there's no risk yeah exactly yeah or they could introduce higher quality and an expansion which is like an upgrade to what you have sort of like yeah. the Cyclades, uh pieces that were were better right they came out right right well you know something like a Puerto Rico do you really need little people to represent the little brown discs that they had i mean they could do little figures and make them people right but in that game i would upgrade that game that's one game that if it if they release a new version that was like up to today's standards for components and art i would rekindle my interest in that game because it's just so dry looking (laughs) it is i mean it's it's dated Uh, dave has really affected me this is something dave was the first person to be like i think a game needs to be beautiful for me to play and and at first i thought that was stupid but i'm finding myself becoming more and more like that with the games now yeah. Because some of my favorite games are gorgeous games, like really good production. Well, you've always liked the theme. The theme has always been important, and the more immersive it is, the more you've liked it. And yeah. so I think that makes a difference. Yeah, so I think that's one of the, the one time Dave is right about something. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. Swing Corey, how often do you buy game expansions? What are your criteria for buying the expansions, and when do you think or know you've bought enough expansions for a game in a similar vein what are some examples where you bought expansions that sours you permanently on buying more expansions okay i'm not really a good person for this one because (laughs) i've not played imperial assault yet and i've probably bought 20 of the expansion packs for it yet and i haven't even played the friggin' base game yet so was that your 2016 gaming resolution? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, and I almost got it done this Christmas, almost, yeah. but I got canceled out on twice to get it done, so it didn't happen again. So I'm a sucker for the expansions. I, you know, I, I do like the games, and I like getting the expansions for them, even apparently for games I haven't played yet. Isn't it adding to the barrier of entry though? Is it is it more daunting for you to play it now that you have 20 expansions to sort no, through? No, because w- w- my thought was I was still going to play only with the base game. So you've kept them separate. Components. They're kind of separate because, I mean, you know, you're you're basically going off and doing a side adventure to acquire a C-3PO. But, I mean, do you have the boxes separated? Or no, they're, they're kind of all... It, it was just too much to do that, so they're, they're all in the same box. Okay. The, really, the only thing that's m- mixed is the... Um, 
the actual plastic figures. So okay. other than that, I've got all the other things separated and stuff. So I can I can get back to the base game and do only the base game stuff. So so I I, I kind of get into the expansions when it comes to all that stuff. Obviously X Wing, I've got uh, tons of X Wing stuff. I think most people would agree with you. So I mean, don't wouldn't you think that most people are into expansions? Yes, I think that's why companies make them. But I have some revelations I've come to about expansions. One of them is I've noticed there were some games that I used to play a lot. And then I bought an expansion and that introduced new rules. And because of that, I had this mental resistance to wanting to learn and play the game. And so I got the expansion and I stopped playing the game. And this happened with um, Colt Express. Like we just played that expansion. I've had that sitting on my shelf for over a year. That stallion, oh really? Whatever that expansion was, we bought, and five tribes. I haven't played five tribes in a year and a half, and I blame it on the fact that I bought the expansion for it and put it in the box. No, I blame it that Chris doesn't like it. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's why. That's. I think there's something to what you're saying because I remember sitting down to play a game. I, I don't remember what the game was, but you know, it's a game I'm familiar with. And we're gathering on the table, and I'm ready to play the game. And there's all these weird components uh-huh. that appear. And there's like these new rules that people are reading, and I, I'm I just don't want to play it. Yeah. It's, well, is it kind of like when you did the the one night ultimate alien because it was like werewolf, but then it had all these other weird rules bit. on top of it? Yeah, a little bit. But the but the the uh, one expansion they came out with was really good for werewolf. Okay, but that would be, you know, that's one example where expansions are good because we played the game a million times. We were due for something to spice it up. But if you haven't played a game a lot, like Five Tribes, you played under ten times, I'm sure. You probably just want to play five tribes. Yeah. It, expansions, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Don't get or play the expansion. Just play the game for a while. And it goes to what we were saying last episode about playing games you know while yeah. they're fun. Right. Expansions for the sake of expansions doesn't make sense. In fact, it can be counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, the only expansions that I think my favorite type of expansion is what I'm what I call a more of the same expansion. Where, for example, you have six powers and you're adding six more. You're not adding new rules. You're just adding something to something something that already existed that you know how to do. Yeah. Or like you have decks of cards and you're just adding more cards to the decks. And the question, I, I think this is the golden question. If the expansion was in the base game when the game came out, would that game still feel streamlined? That's my mm-hmm. that's the question I ask. Because a lot of these expansions, they're adding all this complexity to the on game. The yeah. And people always talk about how games need to be streamlined, 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 but then they're going out and buying expansions that make the game the not opposite. streamlined anymore. Yeah. So if it if it's making it less streamlined, then maybe you shouldn't buy it. See, but I think that's to Chris's point too. If you played that game because you loved it so much fifty times that now you want to add more complexity onto it with the expansion, exactly. that's when you need to get the expansion. Yeah, but, but if, you played you it, it. if you've played it twice <laughs> yeah. and then you throw this complexity on top of it, yeah, you probably haven't gotten enough out of the base game yet. Yeah, I think expansions are the victim of Tim's point in the last episode. There's just a billion games out, yeah. and we're going, we're like serialized gaming. We're just going one to the next to the yeah. next, next, and next, not next. just playing the games that you like and giving expansions a chance to kind of come in at the right time. Yeah, and this is why I recommend if you do buy an expansion, don't just mix it in with your game. I've started putting mine in a separate bag in the box and labeling it with the expansion name. So if you don't want to play, it's real easy to just ignore it, and you don't have to like go through all the cards and separate everything, and it, it's like annoying. Now about expansions that soured me. Battlestar Galactica is my best example. What, what expansion was there? So it's every expansion. So if you look at the expansions for Battlestar Galactica, every one of them adds like one thing that people like and three things they hate. And so it's uh, like you're spending $40 on an expansion to just get one part of it. So yeah. like Pegasus or whichever one I bought, yeah, the ship was cool. But then there's other stuff in there that people always rail on, like how bad it is. And that soured me on buying expansions for that game for sure. Yeah. Cyclades is the exact opposite, right? Being your favorite game, we we've gotten a lot of plays of the base game in. So then introducing Chronos and stuff after we've gotten many other games in of right. the base, that's now enhancing that play. Right. And then last time Hades, and, and then you guys played Hades last time, and you guys have loved it because right. you've gotten enough plays in that it's like okay. We can change things up a little bit now and try something different. And then we did several Titans. I mean, I yeah, played they, at they least two those, or three Titans. Yeah, and they've had those expansions for a while. And we just did, held off, held yeah. off, held off. And even Hades, we held off until we played a few Kronos 
and then we introduced Hades, and it, that's that's the way to do that's it. That's the way to do it. And the sure. great thing about those expansions is, I actually think they fix the base game. I think the base game is a little broken, and that the expansions fixed it, like the map especially yeah. in Cyclades. The Titans map is way better than the original map, and it it actually I think it makes the game more intuitive. So it's not making it less streamlined; it's actually making it more streamlined yeah. by adding the expansions. So. If you can find something like that, it's rare, but those are those are great. All right, next question. This is a great question. It's by Christian Guerrero. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I would like the three of you to discuss alpha versus analysis paralysis gamers. How does each affect your enjoyment of the game? Love you guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, Chris I have a lot to say. This, yeah. <laughs> this is a Chris question. Oh, yeah, it's a toy. <laughs> so a quick story. So I was going to Target the other day. And I'm not the best in stores, so I'm sometimes going up and down the aisle looking for the right stir-fry sauce. And so I'm going down the aisle, and there's a girl sitting there scanning the, the stuff with her cart blocking the way. And I'm, I'm coming by, and she doesn't move. She knows I'm there. She's looking for the right Stouffer's chicken pot pie or whatever. And I have to you know, say, excuse me. You know, it's like she's not aware of what she's doing and how she's holding me back. So th- this this is all goes to the point of the question. Or or if you've been in a buffet line, have you ever... So this is nothing that drives me crazy. You're in a buffet line and it's a long line and people are hungry. Everybody's sort of growling, you know, let's move. But then when they get to the food, what do they do? Oh, let's look around. And then they, they're taking their time. They're analyzing everything. There's a million people waiting behind them. They don't care. They're going to look at their muffins they're going to look at all their different food choices. Do I want the mashed potatoes or the baked potatoes? They're going to stare at it, trying to figure out because they want to be happy. They don't care about the people waiting. You know, the, everybody's heard about the guy who drives slow in the left lane. You know, you get behind oh, him yeah. and they're just, they don't care. They're just, they're just going their speed. And you, you're, they, they don't even, they either don't know you're behind or don't care. Either way, they're not changing. Or this is, the, this is one of the best ones. You're talking to a clerk behind the counter. And she's on the phone with somebody and she's kind of shushing you while she's talking to her friend on the phone because she needs to resolve that. That's the important thing to her. You are not what's going on with you is secondary. So, you know, uh, there's a special circle of hell for these situations. And I think AP gamers are no different. It's making people wait as you conduct your search for the perfect turn ruins games. Take your turn with respect to others and move on. They actually, did you know they talked? <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but the concept, because I can tell Ryan, I can tell you're sort of skeptical of this. No, this is awesome. They they Go talk ahead. about, they talked <laughs> about old, AP Jay. gamers. They talk about AP gamers. Oh, just wait. I haven't even gotten started yet. I'm like Fasini and Princess Bride. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> Just wait till oh, I get man. going. Greek mythology, the topic of AP gamers came up. Okay. So uh, Zeus and Prometheus. Now Prometheus, he was he was a titan. He wasn't a god, but he was a trickster. You know, he's he's kind of shifty. They were playing a game of backgammon, and Dionysus, the god of wine, was watching. He was watching all this go fall down. So Prometheus sat there trying to figure out the perfect move. He was Prometheus was the he was the stereotypical AP gamer. He was trying to sort of psych Zeus out. And so what Zeus did, it was so bad that Zeus had him chained to a rock and a giant eagle came and ate his liver every day. The liver would regenerate because he was a titan. The eagle would come back and, and devour his liver the next day. And this went on through eternity. Because Prometheus was an AP gamer. Look it up, it's in Greek mythology. They had backgammon in Greek mythology. Oh yeah, backgammon okay. goes way back. Okay, continue. No, we, I mean we've had we've had situations where um, <laughs> I, I I just don't I think that it's really a matter of considering where you are in your surroundings and the people around you when you make the choices, and it's a life thing. All these examples I gave were life things. So if you're playing a game and you're only thinking of yourself, then you're not going to care how long you take. You're you're going to, and saying taking the perfect turn might be an exaggeration, but you want to take the most perfect turn possible to help you win the game. But you're not factoring in the people around you and that they have to wait while you're doing this. And I think that's the problem with, with AP gamers. I don't really want to discuss alpha gamers. I think alpha gamers are, they're challenging in other ways. I mean, you guys can chime in on that. I think that co-op games, um, the alpha gamer 
becomes a problem in those games because they get a little bossy maybe. I know Ryan's had history with that, but I don't know. I think that ultimately, if you have a couple alpha gamers at a table, it's no big deal. You just kind of deal with them. I think they can be quite overbearing too. Even in a non-co-op? I think so. Because I mean, I've seen it where, you know, they're kind of like, pushing you to do something that you wouldn't necessarily want to do on your turn because they're like, well, this is, you know, you should be doing this instead of yeah. this because, but isn't know, that co-op only? No. no, no, this is, you know, it's like they think they're being helpful and they're trying to show you how to do it better, but the way they do it is so overbearing. Hmm. It's like, you know, what, what did you do that for? Yeah. You know, you should, you should do this because that, you know, that doesn't do anything. And like the guy know, watching your, watching you play magic, just imagine that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You were the story the of BGG con. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm I'm with Tim. That's worse to me than the analysis paralysis guy. The guy who in the co- in the competitive game is telling me what to do on my turn. I want to shove the components like down their nose. Yeah, yeah they but I can't defend them. Yeah. I mean, the, but the, ultimately they can be ignored whereas the AP you can't ignore an AP gamer. An AP gamer, the alpha gamer, I don't think I think they're probably going to heaven. <laughs> uh, why? I mean, I don't think being an alpha gamer Gaming excludes heaven. them from heaven. Let me put it that way. Whereas the AP gamer are going to hell. You can't behave that way in life and have a happy afterlife. But, but if, you, if you're just bossy telling everybody what to do all the time, sometimes, you know, to the point of this person's not even involved in the game. He's watching the game that four other people are playing and he's starting to tell everybody True. how to do their turns. Is that an alpha gamer, though? Because I know alpha gamers that don't do that. Well, then they're not. That's what that's what alpha. he means in the question. He's not talking about. So he's talking about like bossy, loud, obnoxious, bossy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, no, fair enough. I mean, to me, that's just something. It's like shut up. I'm playing my game. But you could just tell them to shut up. <laughs> you could tell the other person to speed up. They won't. Well, he won't either. Well, but you could take it to the next level then. I mean, because if they're being verbally <laughs> rude to you, next what's the next level? Like forcibly removing them. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you seen, I, there's, there's some YouTube video, I've seen it multiple times of this guy playing Catan and some guy's like hoarding all the ore and the guy just starts literally freaking out and saying he's going to quit and the one guy's like, I'm not giving you any ore and the guy finally just takes both his fists and crushes the folding table that they're playing on and totally destroys the whole game because he got so PO'd because people wouldn't do what he wanted them to do. What? That might have been a... Um, there's a guy who does videos like that where they're like, it's acted out. Is it? Okay. Because the, the same guy did one for Magic where he's like playing Magic and he flips out about something, a guy top decked or something, and then he just like breaks the tape. Right, because out. why would somebody <laughs> be recording it? <laughs> right. But it's really funny. Like, I wonder if it's the same guy. Or yeah, it could be. Video. It could be. But, you know, I, but if you imagine if that was like real and someone, right. you know, oh, that's, well, that's definitely happened. How, how, do you, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? But uh, but how often do we have that? Well, we don't. We don't have yeah. issues with that. Those but, people wouldn't but be even, even in BGG Con, you had the one experience. But in general, I, I think that's rare that somebody is that rude. Where the other thing I just talked about in life, how this comes up, it comes up in a lot of different ways where you just, you have a care problem with other people and how your decisions affect them. It's, it's just a, it's a misaligned priority where you're just so self-absorbed. To that point too, there's been studies that when you're in a parking spot, if you know someone's waiting for your spot, you take longer to leave because it's kind of like, I own this, Uh, it's mine. And it's, it's been proven. They've done studies like, doesn't Person make, will pull out quicker if no one's waiting for it, but if there's no someone's there, they take a lot longer to get out of that spot. See, those are just selfish people. Because well, if I see someone waiting, I like rush. Yeah, I do too. I like rush my family, <laughs> get in the car and stuff. I hate right. when people are waiting yeah. for my spot. I feel like a jerk. Right, yeah. because ultimately you're holding up people even behind that person right. yeah, who are yeah. waiting. And if you then you're becoming like an AP right. when if you're just taking your time because you're making life difficult for everybody then. <laughs> Final question. Final question is from uh, Ken Spawn, the prophet. The prophet. The prophet. He knows we're going to answer this this yes. episode. How to break down the negative, nerdy, preconceived notion that some people have with playing games? Not looking for answers like forget them. Imagine their new friend, coworker, girlfriend, etc. How can one bring them into the hobby and make them comfortable with it? So first of all, the prophet probably, this probably happened to him the day after he posted the question. <laughs> But for me, I found that softening the blow works. Don't just dive right into the pool. Kind of dip your toe in and test the waters and sort of be aware of how it's going to be perceived. When we went to BGG Con and I got back, uh, one of my coworkers asked me, you know, so how was your time off? And I didn't say, great, I went to BGG Con and played board games all weekend. 
That's what I said. Did you? <laughs> I think that to, to his point, I think, I, you know, I went to Dallas for a convention, but it was fun, not work. And then, oh, and then you explain it in a way that makes sense. Like, well, it was put on by the board game industry, believe it or not. Believe it or not, meaning your shock is warranted. Okay. <laughs> really? I've never heard of it. And then you agree. Well, I know. A lot of people haven't. You know, the board game industry, it's sort of like a... It's bigger than you think, but not a lot of people have heard of it. You throw out numbers like, you know, thousand, thousands of people showed up and then they'll inevitably ask, because I get this all the time, oh, like Monopoly and Scrabble? Or Risk. Or, or Risk. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. But also a lot of new cutting edge game. And then the coup de gras is bringing up Europe. Yeah. Because Europe is cool. I do this all the time. Yes. <laughs> Yes, there's a type of game called Euro games, and people love that. And they're like, "What's that?" It's like this new hot, you know, Euro games are hot, you know. And then they'll ask to see a game. So by the end of this leveling like this, you get them not only not thinking you're a nerd, but also kind of intrigued to understand it. Yeah, that's an interesting strategy. I I kind of own that it's nerdy. I guess I don't really care if people think it's nerdy. The problem with that, though, don't you think that it's harder to evangelize then? Yeah, but I don't, I'm don't. i not necessarily trying to evangelize everyone I talk to about board games. But let's say there was a friend, just for the sake of the, the, the question. I, do, I don't necessarily do <laughs> what you just explained. I just go out and, and tell them that you know I went to a board game convention. And, and then they have the shock. And I'll say, it, the thing is that I, I believe a lot of people have this thought in their head that games are for kids like board games are for kids or like it's just something you do with your family and that's it and they and they have those games in their mind about monopoly but i i immediately will jump to yeah like back i start telling the history of how board games came over from germany that's what i do starting with Catan, and then there's like all these games that were designed in germany that were being played and then companies formed in the u.s to bring these games over to america and that there's a lot more thinking and strategy to them. And then that is when I usually get the question, oh, like risk? Because when people, when I say thinking and strategy, people think of risk for whatever reason. And then I do that exact same thing. Kind of, but you know, it could be about different themes. Not, not all games have combat because a lot of people are turned off by the combat and risk. So I just try to, I try to explain like what it actually means today versus what it meant when we were kids because it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I think to, to the prophet's point though, the nerdiness isn't, it's not completely fair from the standpoint of a lot of people would enjoy this. Yeah. And if, if it's not explained in a softened way, they have no chance of ever knowing that. Yeah, I think though right now too, n- nerdy doesn't have the same connotation it did when we were in high school. Thanks to the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I mean, there's, nerdy is now kind of more chic and more people are kind of okay with it. You're not, you're now considered the smart person and stuff like it's not looked down upon anymore, but I have the same problem. I, people ask me and I'm like, what are you doing? tonight? Oh, getting together with a bunch of the guys. Oh, what are you doing? Playing poker? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. We're playing board games. Oh, okay. You're like, you know, life, <laughs> sorry, monopoly. No, no, not really. It's like the same whole path of things. Uh, you know, I actually ended up talking to one of the women and found out that her husband goes to BGG con yeah. and stuff. So, you know, it's like, she kind of like, she said, oh, okay, I get it. I, my husband's into it. And then you get other people like, oh, okay. And they're just kind of like, I, you know, I don't really get it. You're like, Uno and stuff. I'm like, no, it's not a card game like that. Or, you know, when we're doing magic, what are you doing on oh, magic? What, what, what's, what's that? And you try to explain it to them. And either they're kind of into it or they're not. And you can tell, you can tell right away. If they just have, if they're like, uh, then you, you know that they don't even know what you're talking about, nor are they ever going to be interested. Yeah. But the other ones that start asking more questions, those you got to start. Yeah, I mean, talking to you more because may, maybe there is some interest there. If you find people that like board games, but yeah. they just they're just they've only played Monopoly and stuff, then then it's like, well, let's play something sometime. You just show just show them one if they yeah. already like played the games before. It's, I think the hardest is the people who don't play at all and maybe maybe aren't interested. It's like, how do you? And that's that's I think that's a a lot of people that you know maybe they played board games when they were younger, but it's not something that they would even consider at this point in their life. Yeah. And sometimes what I'll tell people is like, go to target and look at the games and all the games you don't recognize. Those are probably the games that, that are like the mm-hmm. newer games. Cause target is, is stocking a lot more of like the strategy games. Like you, you can find King of Tokyo ticket to ride. Oh wow. You no know, games like that at target now. So 
just find the ones that you don't recognize and maybe give one of those a shot. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the best way, obviously, is just to bring a game sometime to someone's house when you're going to visit them and then just tell them, hey, I brought some games if you want to try. And then you can do your whole spiel and just have them try one. And then if they, you'll know, you know, if they like it, they like it. If they, they don't, they don't. Not everyone's going to be able to get into it. It's their muggles. That's what we call them. They're all muggles. <laughs> Anything else to add? No, I think that's it. All right. So that wraps up episode 41. Another great uh, slew of questions from our listeners. Good questions. Thanks Keep for them coming. Them Feel free to continue sending them to outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to remind everyone about our blooper reel. I want to do that one more time. Oh, There's blooper a blooper reel. reel. Uh, you might hear some stuff on this one, like <laughs> mysterious ghosts doing things in the house. Uh, check out our website at outofgamepodcast.com. You can also find us at our guild on Board Game Geek. That's Guild 1990. That's our discussion forum uh, where we post things like our episodes and discussion topics. While on our guild, find the link to our Slack group so you can have real-time chats with us. We like that. By the way, we love it when you guys send us any type of feedback. I can't tell you how motivating it is to receive an email uh, or just any kind of feedback, either through the forum or through email. Yeah, we've uh, received some good ones, and it does mean a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's like fuel for us to, to keep trying to produce like the best show we can for everyone. So if you've got some feedback in your head, feel free to put it into words and send it to us. Yeah, maybe you start doing some hashtags in the show. Hashtag own the nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Hashtag own the nerdy. I want to see that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Stitcher at OOG Podcast. Like I said, our email is at a game podcast at gmail.com. Can leave us a voicemail on the profit line. Kenneth Spawn is still the only person to ever leave us a voicemail. Maybe you can remedy that by calling us at 40 OG OG80. For great games and amazing prices, shop at coolstuffinc.com. Or for more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to dicetowernetwork.com. Good night. Good night. Nerd out. Okay, well, I'm, I'm starting with something unorthodox. Of the fake news awards. <laughs> Freaking out. Right, the more Washington learns about... <laughs> we just had someone come into the, the house and... real... <laughs> was that the ghost that was on your camera? My TV turned itself on. That was crazy, Was it like a voice command? Chris's TV just turned on while we were talking. What was up with that? By itself. I was, I was kind of all of a like, I saw the glow of the TV, so I'm like... Why the TV it does have on? a power on command. You could say maybe we said we said something that triggered. What's the it. command? Um, high TV power on. I think. Well, it just didn't do it. You just wow. said it. But I wasn't face. I don't know. Maybe something that was weird. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we we turned it on in the other room. <laughs> we have to review review what was being said. And I mean, we're sitting fifteen feet away from Chris's TV, and it just turned on. Yeah. It, it sounded like somebody walked in. It did. I, know, I, I was so kind of like, like, whoa, whoa, like wrong house, buddy. Maybe <laughs> Amy was coming over or something. I was like, no. Like Amy's been taking testosterone pills or what? what the f-